Today I want to just direct your attention uh, to this thought and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm violating, I, I might as well just tell you, I'm violating the rules of what is known as homiletics. If you have never been to Bible college, you may not know what homiletics is. Homiletics is the art and science of preaching. And essentially what they try to teach you is to organize your thoughts and to put it into outline form and have, you know, various points and point one, point two. Well, today I am just, all of that's out the window. You could almost say that my message is pointless. <laughs> but no, it will not be pointless. I trust with the help of the Holy Spirit as I read uh, this particular passage of Scripture, there are some things that jumped out at me. And, of course, as you read the Gospels, uh, and we'll start reading in just a moment in John chapter 5. I think I have the right ones, don't I? I have John 5. We're going to read down through to verse 14, starting at verse 1 in just a moment. But as you read through the Gospels, you will find over and over again the conflict that Jesus has with the religious leaders of the day. And I have, as I've been kind of working my way through the Gospels once again, you see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John. You see the religious leaders cared more about a day of the week than they did about people. And I wonder sometimes over the course of the history, church history, have we sort of made our you know, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we're here, and we're we're in the house of the Lord, and it's, you know, you gotta you gotta obviously you you take time. It's a day of rest and all of that, and yet you realize that when it all comes down to it, Jesus pressed the issue. It isn't about a day; it's about people, and it's about their need. It's about what they're going through, and so. Uh, honestly, the what John is is going to get to in a moment, he is going to, we'll see it as we read it, he is going to say that everything that took place that we're about to read happened on the Sabbath. And that was the holy day. You didn't do anything on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus was constantly pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees uh, along that score. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want us to start reading, starting at verse 1. The Bible says this, sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five color covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Think of the hopelessness that had piled up in this man's heart. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. 
And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. I find that amazing, that last part of it, that is somewhat of a, a mystery to me, how it was that the man was made well by Jesus. He's standing there, and he is, but he goes and he tells them, oh, by the way, it was Jesus. But I want to back up a little bit into this passage and just kind of focus on that question that Jesus asked this particular man. And that is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And the thought occurred to me that there are a lot of people who claim they want to get well, but there are a number of reasons why it is that they don't. And I'm not talking about sin, and I'm not talking about physical healing right now. I'm talking about spiritually. And in the end, Jesus is going to hone in and focus his attention on the most important healing factor in his life, and that is the sin factor. And he is going to tell him and let him know that sin cannot rule over his life. He must abandon the life of sin. But the Bible says here in verse 2, it says that there was this pool called Bethesda. It was, there were parallel pools on this northeastern gate, the sheep gate in Jerusalem, the walled city of Jerusalem. And this pool was a place where people would come and the waters were stirred and they believed that as they were able to get into those waters, they would be healed. Now we find no other reference to anything taking place that that was the case. We don't, some commentators think it was just one of those things that people believed would happen, though it was potentially just a superstition that was carried along. Jesus doesn't elevate the idea or the possibility that that was going to be the method that this man was going to be healed, but instead he comes along and he finds this man lying here by this pool. And the Bible says that Jesus knows or came to know that this man had been there. He had been lame for 38 years of his life. Now, a lot of people go through a lot of things. And over the course of time, there is a hopelessness that builds up. And the hopelessness that this man had carried into his conversation with Jesus. You read in other areas of the Gospels where it is that some others, they hear that Jesus is coming to town. And though they have suffered for a long time, they cry out to him. They reach out to him. This man did no such thing. In fact, Jesus pinpointed this man for healing. It's an also an interesting thing to note in this particular passage of scripture that in other places where Jesus performs healings in the in the gospels their faith was at the forefront of the situation 
that somehow they had the ability to believe. You remember the woman with the issue of blood. As she pressed through the crowd, the Bible says that she said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. That's faith. And she had faith going into it. Another man who was not even a Jew. He was a Roman centurion. He was a man who loved the Jews. He, he helped those who were, were part of the synagogues. He, he contributed to them. He came to Jesus and he said, I, please, my servant, like one of my family members, is laying dying. And I, I just, I, I please help my servant bring healing. And he said, I'll come to your house. And the man said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I, you just say the word and he will be made well. And Jesus highlights that man's faith and says, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. What an amazing thing. But yet we find this man, no such testimony is said about his faith. In fact, you could almost say that faith was almost completely absent. Now, it's not. We're going to get to that in just a second. But you could almost look at it and say, what about the faith factor? Isn't he supposed to have some faith here? Isn't he supposed to trust? Isn't he supposed to do that? Isn't that supposed to be a prerequisite for what he is about to receive? And I want to tell you today that there are a lot of people and maybe in your own life there has been enough failure, enough of, of pain, enough of sorrow, or maybe in a family member's life where there is more hopelessness than anything else. A number of years ago, I determined that we can live oftentimes without love, but we cannot live without hope. I, I got to tell you, hope is one of the most powerful things that people can have in their lives. Often what is removed and has been removed from our society, you think about it, over the last year and a half, between the politics and, and the, the virus, the one thing that got extracted from society was hope. It was the one thing that became, it, it was like the, the enemy got in and he used every media outlet he possibly could. And he's still doing it, by the way. And he got in there and he said, let's extract hope from society so that people walk around as though somehow there is no hope to the, their situation and no hope to this particular world that we're living in. I, I just, I had a friend who just recently posted on Facebook and though, yeah, he dropped an F-bomb right on Facebook, but it was, it was a hopeless one. I felt for him. I responded to him. I was like, no, you're not done yet. It, it almost like he's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. This is a boyhood friend that I had growing up in church together he went one direction and by God's grace I was able to go in the opposite direction and I want to tell you that God has his hands on Danny's life I don't know what's going on people's hopelessness there's a sense of hopelessness like this man had listen to his hopelessness this is what Jesus said to him he said do you want to get well listen to what he says in verse 7 here's the hopeless part of it sir the invalid replied I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes ahead, goes down ahead of me. Think about what he's saying here. Jesus is asking him a really important question. Do you want to get well? Is there something in your heart that says, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get this thing sorted out. I've got to get, get free of this bondage and free of this lameness and free of that thing that just has me laying here day after day, year after year with no help whatsoever. Do you want out of it? 
amazingly, amazingly, there are people who will say it verbally, but deep down on the inside, it's become a crutch to them to lean on the discomfort, to lean on the pain, to somehow blame somebody else. Think about this for a minute. Now, he's pointing his finger. He, it's valid. He needed somebody to help him to get into this pool. He needed somebody to, to, to lift him in or to, to get him in there. If, if that was the means that, that actually took place, and I know the King James, New King James, seems to almost indicate that it was an event. There's no other doctrine about it, so please don't think I'm preaching that that was actually true or what happened. All I'm saying matters not. Either way, what he is saying is this. He is simply trying to say, don't put hope in my heart. If that can't happen, because I have been let down more times than you understand and more times than you know. Do you know that there are people in your life on a daily basis that you see as cranky individuals, that you see as miserable individuals that you toss aside and I toss aside and we somehow just say, you know what, they're just being mean and nasty. But in the end, I, I want you to know that deep down on the inside, there is a hopelessness on the inside of their hearts that causes them to be that way. One commentator actually said from everything that this man says and, and even the fact that he, you know, he essentially turned Jesus in. <laughs> I mean, he outed Jesus. He, he, he went back to the synagogue rulers and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and says, oh, by the way, it was Jesus who did this, Jesus of Nazareth who told me to take up my mat and walk. I don't know if he was trying to somehow get in with them. I, I have no idea because they had clout. They had power. They were really powerful people. So to speak out against them or to go against what they were saying, I'm not sure that this man really wanted to do that deep down. We don't know what the end result, but we know this. We know that as he is presenting all of this this stuff on the inside, one commentator says, what we have here is we really have the essence of a crabby old man. <laughs> and he was. You read what he's saying and you read what took place and this guy just, he was so full of hopelessness. There were so many things in his life that had gone wrong. How could he possibly get out of it? There is only one way out. There is only one person who can do it. And I want to tell you today that that person is not somebody who sits in government. That person is not somebody who sits atop some important elevated position. But his name is Jesus. And he walks into your situation and he asks a simple question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be free? Do you want to have that? This man starts talking and he starts talking. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't even let him. He doesn't even, it's almost like he cuts him off. It's not, it doesn't say that. But the next thing out of Jesus' mouth was, verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now, Jesus knew, first of all, what was going to happen. He knew that he was healing him. He knew he was going to heal him. But he also knew that this was going to create a problem uh, once again for those hypocrites who said, 
You know, it's more important for somebody not to be carrying their mat, and I, we don't really care that you were healed after 38 years of lying on your back or however it was that you were there. We don't really care about that. We care about our day. We care about our, our Sabbath. We care about all of that. I want to tell you today that Jesus is going to press that issue, and he is going to put this man in the hot seat. <laughs> or actually, not a hot seat. He's going to be in a hot standing position. Because he's going to heal this guy regardless of the hopelessness that had piled up on the inside of his heart. There are people who need to know the love of Jesus. And do you know what? It's our job to give it to them. I don't think for a minute that somehow COVID is keeping people out of churches. It might be keeping people who went to church out of churches. But I think there are people who need Jesus who have in the middle of COVID have realized there has to be something more that we've got to cling to. And they've looked at the news day after day and realized all they're spewing out is hopelessness. We need something more. That something more is Jesus Christ. You and I have something to bring to them. In the midst of their hopelessness, there is the hope of eternal life. There is Jesus in the middle of it all who says no matter what you're going through and how painful things can be. I want to tell you today that Jesus will come into your situation and say, do you want to get well? And there can be all kinds of excuses as to why you haven't up to this point. And Jesus ultimately is going to say, get up. He doesn't mess around with this guy. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't sit there and say, I'm so sorry. He doesn't do that. Oh, poor you. You know, we'll come alongside of people and we'll just try to make them feel better. The only one who's going to make them feel better is Jesus. The only one who's going to make, the only one who's going to heal them in their situation, in their problem, in their sin, in all that they have, they have, that has been piled onto them. And I'm not saying that this man should have, should have, you know, sparked up in faith. Maybe he didn't know about Jesus at all. Maybe the word hadn't reached this guy, may not have recognized that it was Jesus. So let's, we'll cut him some slack on that. And other people knew about him. Blind Bartimaeus knew when Jesus was coming into the city. He heard about him. He'd already heard about him. He's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. All the more he hears that Jesus is approaching. And Jesus asked a similar question to him. What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? Almost seems like a silly question, doesn't it? I mean, it's one of those questions where Guy's laying there for 38 years. Don't know if he's laying in this one position, in this one place, but he's been laying for 38 years. Can't walk. Paraplegic. Do you want to get well? You see, that's a question that probes the depths of the heart of every individual. Do you want to be free? Some people don't want to be free. I remember years ago hearing the story of a... Bible college professor. I think he was a theology professor. And he asked this one question at the end of a test. Why won't men, mankind, get saved? And people wrote all kinds of things. Oh, they wrote volumes. They just wrote whatever they could theologically trying to dissect why people won't get saved. They got their tests back, and almost every one of them had it wrong. 
The simple answer was because they won't. There is the part of the will that enters into our lives. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to have this change? Do you want this situation to, to be different than what it Do you want this to happen? Do you want to get well? And the guy goes off on some tangent, and finally Jesus is like, just get up. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. Just go. Just get up and go. Now, here's the faith. There was no, we have no picture of faith ahead of time. But here is the faith. When Jesus said it, he did it. It's like Abraham. Remember, we tell, we learn about Abraham, Father Abraham. And many, you know, we, we know Abraham heard the voice of the Lord, get to a place, get up, get out of your homeland, go to a place that I'm going to show you. And he did it. It wasn't faith ahead of time, but it was faith at hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You and I need to know that sometimes there are times where where our faith might be so minuscule, so tiny, so small. Jesus over and over again with his disciples, oh, you of little faith. But God can work with little faith. He can work with small faith. I'll never forget when uh, Dr. Crandall gave the testimony of when, as I was, when I started out at, at Zion Bible, it was called Zion Bible Institute at that time. It's now known as North, North Point Bible College. Uh, when, when we started out, I was on the old campus in East Providence, Rhode Island. It was an inner city campus. Uh, it was tiny. It was small. I had three roommates in my room as I started out my freshman year. Uh, they were great guys. I, I loved them all. But bottom line was, is you're in a room and you're in there with three other guys. It was four people to a room. College kids don't know how good they have it these days. And so, you know, and you had this, this common shower you had to get to. And it was, you know, it's a, it's a whole thing. It was, it was a bit of a situation. Dr. Crandall had just come in as the president of the Bible College. He visited us, I don't know how many years it was ago, when we were on Irving Park Road. He and his wife came uh, and ministered to us on, on a weekend. And, uh, and he tell, told the story of, of how the Barrington College campus, the old, it was vacant, nobody was there, the old campus was available for sale. Zion had no money. And he tells the story of how the, the seller's attorney basically berated him and said, we will not sell to Zion. You have no money whatsoever. We will not be selling to you. And he said, I went out there and he said, my faith was microscopic. It was so small. But he said, I made this proclamation. We will buy that campus yet. I will have you know that in October of that year, the announcement was made that we had purchased the campus with money we didn't have, with a major amount of debt, but ultimately, that campus became our new home. It's where I met my wife. We were there as, as she was there as a student. I was on staff at that time. I stayed there, worked at that campus, but it was a miraculous moment because of one thing, small faith, but that faith God can use to do something powerful and something wonderful and something great. Now, what happened to the campus to this day? Well, the campus is an absolute disaster. Why? Because 
Then years later, think of the steps of faith that took place. Years later, the family, I believe it's the, the Green family that owns Hobby Lobby. They are believers. They're Christians. They had a camp. They bought a campus up in Massachusetts, Haverhill, Massachusetts, the old Bradford College. They gave that college to Zion at that time, handed it over. Not only that, when I went to visit a few years ago for my 30th reunion, I went there and, and they said every year they give a certain amount of money, a million something, for the upkeep of the campus. So project after project happens, free and clear. They were going to sell the Barrington campus. That's its vacant, whatever. It's a campus. Who cares? But ultimately, the work of the Lord goes on. Why? Because somebody said, along with Sister Gibson, the founder of that university, that, that college, a long time ago said, I'm going to believe the Lord. And God does something. As he speaks, you act. And that's where the faith comes in. Ultimately, this man gets up. And he goes, he picks up his mat, and then all of a sudden the religious leaders get involved. They get there and they start quizzing him. They start interrogating this guy. He didn't even bother to find out who Jesus was. Didn't even find out his name. He's healed. He's walking along happy as can be because he's walking, carrying his mat. And these guys are like, why are you carrying your mat? I mean, think about the legalism. Legalism can destroy faith in somebody's life. But notice here verse 14. The Bible says this. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Ultimately, I know there are a lot of people, they have healing ministries. God has done great things through individuals. But I will tell you that God is more concerned with the soul than he is the physical body. I realize there are things that happen. And today we prayed for a desperate situation. We need to pray for Ryan, continually pray for him. But God is more concerned for Ryan's soul than he is his physical body today. And I don't say that in an unloving way. I say that because we see in Scripture over and over and over again. And you see it in another passage of Scripture where a, a man who couldn't walk was brought to Jesus. And the faith of those individuals who brought him led him down through a roof. And Jesus told the man, he said, I, I, you know, your sins are forgiven you. And the man got up and walked. And the, the, the religious leaders were incensed. Who does this guy think he is? Does he have power to forgive sins? Yes, he does. He was more concerned about that man's soul. Now, that man got healed that day, but he was concerned about the soul. I want to tell you, we've got not only physical healing here, but we've got the, the healing of the soul. And Jesus is admonishing him and telling him, listen, don't go back to that life of sin. Don't. He said, stop sinning or a worse thing will happen to you. Don't give in to the flesh. Don't give in to the sin. Why? Because the one thing that will separate us from God is not a physical infirmity. It is not dying from COVID. It is literally not being in that right place with God where you know that you are saved. That's the bottom line. There are people when you ask them, do you want to get well? Oh, physically, yes. Spiritually, might be a whole other story. 
oh, I don't know about that. Not sure I can, not sure I can buy into that. Not sure I can do that. I don't know that that's for me. I want to tell you today that the greatest problem of mankind today still is, always has been, and always will be the sin problem. But there is an answer. It's like Jeremiah as he cries out and he asks, is there a balm in Gilead? Gilead was known for the salve to bring healing and to bring help. Is there a balm in Gilead? Well, the answer is yes, there is. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can truly bring healing, not only to the physical body, which is important, but more importantly, to the soul of mankind. To those crabby people you have to deal with on occasion. To those individuals who just seem miserable and hopeless. Don't look at them like they're just trying to make your life miserable. Look at them as though they are a soul, a person created in the image of God, just like you are. And I want to tell you that we will begin to have more compassion because the Bible tells us this on another occasion as Jesus was looking out over the crowd, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. When was the last time you can actually say you were moved with compassion? Think about that for a moment. Sometimes we gather together here on a Sunday morning and we just say, oh, pastor, you, I, I just need a word from heaven for us, for me, for my problems, my difficulties. But sometimes what God wants to do is he wants to challenge us to, for the moment, drop our problem and realize that there is a greater problem in the world, and that is the problem of bringing people into the kingdom of God. We have a job to do. We have work to do. I don't think it's God's... It's, it, it, I read something so challenging yesterday that Mariela sent to me. It, it, God has called all of us to go and to bear fruit. When I read that, I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. I need to bear more fruit. As a ministry, we need to bear fruit. We don't want to be fruitless. We don't. I believe with all my heart, God's question not only to us today, but to others through us is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And here's the thing. I also realize this. I'm not the perfect pastor. If there's anything that was revealed to me over these last 18 months, it was that. It was that. But I believe with all my heart that God still has a plan. I believe with all my heart that he still has a purpose for us. He's still got a purpose for you as an individual, but he has a purpose for you as a church. He's got a plan and a purpose in store. So what are we going to do? The question that I have to ask for each and every one of us, maybe some hopelessness piled up in your heart over the last year and a half. I know that in my heart, I was like, my God, what in the world? I don't even know what to do. I may not still know what to do in the end. But in the end, I know this. I know that God is still in control, that he's still in charge, that he still loves his people, that he still loves this world. He still loves people in the world. He still loves those who don't know him, and they don't know that they need him. This man didn't know that he needed Jesus. Jesus just walked in and said, do you want to get well? 
I want to tell you, in that moment when Jesus healed him, he obeyed. That was faith. There was faith in his heart that arose. There has to be faith in our hearts. I want us to stand to our feet right now and say, Lord, in my own life, in my own heart, I do want to be well. I do want to exercise faith to believe for the impossible. And it could be that in the middle of your difficulty, there's been so much hopelessness that has been piled on because of everything that you hear. Listen, we've got to stop listening to the voices around us and start listening to the voice of the Lord. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to be like what the prophet Isaiah says, who has believed the report of the Lord. When you hear the report of everybody else, the report of the Lord seems almost ridiculous. But in the end, I want to tell you, it is the only thing that will give us the strength that we need to keep moving forward and to keep going on him in him. I want us to pray right now and say, Lord, not only do I want to make sure that I can be well, but I want to bring a message of hope to those that are in desperate and dire straits, in desperate situations, that the most important part of what's happening in our world right now is that there is still an enemy who is trying to bring destruction and bring hopelessness, but there is a God who is more powerful and over all that the enemy could ever do or ever plan, and the message of hope will come through my life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, right now in the name of Almighty God, that you would help us, Lord, as believers, to come to that place where we recognize that we need you, where we recognize that we need to be made well, that maybe there are some areas of our lives that we haven't given over to you. And, Lord, you're asking us today, do you want to be? Do you want to be well? Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a resounding yes as an answer, not to make excuses, not to point the finger, not to blame somebody else for our hopelessness, but, Lord, instead to reach out and say, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean, make me whole. I ask, oh God, right now in the name of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would make it real to our hearts that we have a message of hope to bring to a lost and a dying world. It is up to us, oh God, as believers to bring that hope, that message to others, Lord. You see so many who are in the midst of dire straits. And God, today I pray in the name of Jesus that you would have your way. But God, we ask that you would use us, Lord. Use us, oh Lord to present to them the way maker, the one who is able to do more than they could ever ask or think today. Father, we need you. We need your help. We need your hope. We need you in our lives, oh God, not only for our own problems and our own situations, but God, we need you to be able to present to others. Lord, you love others. Lord, you left the 99 to go get the one. Help us, Lord, to be willing to do the same. Father, we pray for families that are in disarray. We pray, Lord, right now, today, in the name of Jesus, for families that are in complete disarray because you're not on the throne of their homes. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would step in and that, Lord, you would bring hope where there seems to be hopelessness. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would be made well and made whole and made clean. And, Father, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, if you can use anything, Lord, use me, use us. Lord, we thank you today. 
And God, we're going to give you all the glory and the honor and the power and the praise in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Turn and greet one another today in the joy and the love of the Lord. God bless you.